the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. i 
All of my trust is in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I don't come to this broadcast with any sense of of pride. I come terrified. I even considered not doing a broadcast today. My heart is very troubled. It's troubled by my own arrogance, hardness of heart. And it's troubled by by the preachers that I've been listening to sampling various denominations and churches. Across the board, I see a casualness, a comfortableness, a lecturing, not preaching. Preaching is when we come with fire and passion. Lecturing is just sharing information. Most preaching today is either motivational or entertainment. It's casual, interspersed with jokes and have the congregation laughing, crying. I've been forced by the Holy Spirit to confront my greatest sin. I thought that I was living without any known sin in my life. I was confronted, however, by the Holy Spirit who said, you still have sin in your life, Ray. And I was devastated. This happened yesterday in the early hours. So I don't come with any sense of I'm the man. I'm not. I'm nobody. And I have sinned grossly before God. When this journey began, this entering into the school of the Holy Spirit some 35 years ago, it began with a sense of utter emptiness in my heart, in my life, in my ministry, even though I was pastoring a very successful congregation. We were a a rock and roll church, seeker-sensitive, growing rapidly. To the outward eye, we were a very successful congregation, beginning to look for property where we could build. 
And then the Holy Spirit came and began to confront me with my sin. What was my sin? Well, my sin was the greatest sin a man can commit. And it is rampant throughout the body of Christ today. And it yet remains in some fashion in my own life. And I am deeply grieved by this sin. What is that sin? That sin is unbelief. The sin of unbelief stands directly in the way of God's work. This whole journey began as a successful pastor in the prime of life, recognizing that I had built the church with a team of wonderful people. But it was not God, and it was not the Holy Spirit. Most churches built today in America are simply good businesses with social understandings, strategies for success, a charismatic pastor, but nothing of the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit to build a great church in America today. That's a sad commentary, but I was a testimony to that. I don't like saying that. I am shamed. And I come to you today very ashamed and heartbroken. To the point I was not sure I would be able to do this broadcast. Do you believe that Jesus is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him? I would have answered un unquestioningly. Of course I believe. But belief requires more than intellectual assent. Belief requires actions that reflect the reality that God is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Don't tell me that you believe in Jesus, but you still walk in known sin. That's an oxymoron. It's impossible. To believe in Jesus is to be filled with him, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, to walk clean in the world, to bear testimony that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. In the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit begins to speak. This is in verse 7. 
Today, if you hear his voice, that is, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. If you hear the Holy Spirit, don't harden your heart against what he wants to say to you. Don't walk on casually as though you were the man. Don't be casual about the things of God. The children of Israel tried and tested Jesus over and over and over in the 40-year journey in the wilderness until finally God said to them, you've passed the point of no return. You will die in the wilderness. And you will not enter the promised land. Many who are in the church today, and I do not want to be counted among them, will never enter the promised land. They will die in the wilderness of this world, and their bodies will be buried in the earth, but they will not face a resurrection unto life because they walked in unbelief about who Jesus is and what he can do for them. Verse 10, therefore I was angry with this generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. He's not saying we don't have the correct information. He's not saying they're going to go astray because they haven't been taught. No, he's saying there's something in the heart of man that hardens itself and refuses to believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, this final part is terrifying to me. They did not know my ways. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. He's saying, they did not know my ways. In other words... They had an intellectual understanding. They had seen the cloud by day. They had seen the fire by night. They ate the manna every day. But they did not know the ways of God. And they walked in hardness of heart and in unbelief. And so the Holy Spirit spoke and said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Rest means, in the Hebrew, cessation, stopping. But it also means a place of repose. It means a bedroom. He's saying, They shall not enter my bedroom. They will have no intimacy with me. And my great fear today 
as I have listened to quite a number of prophetic conference preachers and others. They don't know God's ways. It's all head stuff. It's intellectual. It's sentimental. But they will not enter into the intimacy of God's bedroom. Verse 12. Take care, brethren. That is, be very careful now. I want you to hear that. I do in my spirit. God is saying to me, Ray, be very careful. Be very careful. It's on the line for you. I want to do something in your heart and in your life. I want to use you. But there are some issues that have to be cleared and settled between you and me. I'm not going to let you enter my bedroom yet. In other words, we're not going to be wed. That terrifies me. I don't want to hear that from God. I can tell you, he's not just saying it to me. He's saying it to every American Christian. Because we have not known the ways of God. We've not suffered for him. We have sacrificed very little for him. We have our comfortable American lifestyle. I just read in Afghanistan, mothers, fathers, and children are bearing the brunt of bitter cold and no food. And many will die. Well, they are facing the brunt of physical deprivation. In America, very few of us have had to face that. Some of us have. I remember what it was like when I was a child and we were extremely poor. We heated the house with a a pot-belly stove in the living room. No running water, no electricity. An outhouse. Bitter Wyoming wind and cold. I remember. Most of us don't live that way today. He says, take care, be careful, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Well, the American church has fallen away from the living God. We're very sentimental. We sing songs about, I love you, Jesus. In fact, we love our We love our praise and worship much more than we love Jesus in America. Except for the sentimental Jesus, but not the Jesus of history. 
not the Jesus of Scripture. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, <clears throat> if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. He's saying, be careful. Don't provoke God. How can you provoke God? Well, we're going to spend some time talking about this today and the rest of the week. But if we look over here in the in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let me read a portion for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no condemnation means we have to be in Jesus, not about Jesus, not listening to Jesus, not practicing religion. We have to be in him. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you believe that you have been set free from the law of sin and death so that you no longer walk in any known sin? If you answer no to that question and you say, I'm going to be a sinner until the day I die, then you're walking in unbelief. And you are not in Jesus. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit now i need to explain something very quickly here flesh is used in primarily two ways in the new testament first it's used as a descriptor of the evil nature that we were born with a sinful propensity secondly flesh is spoken of as this stuff that wraps what we call our bodies the skin the muscles the flesh part the soft part So in this passage of scripture in Romans, the eighth chapter, we're going to have to deal with both the evil Adam nature and we're going to have to be careful then to separate out and understand 
My hand is not evil. It's just a hand. What tells my hand what to do? My spirit. Not my personality. Your personality is your soul. But your spirit. It controls what the hand's going to do. It gives the final direction. Now listen. For those who according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So the mind that is set on the evil nature that we were born into face death because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. That is, it hates God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is, is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If that Spirit dwells in you, he says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We're not, we're not directed, we're not given to walking in the wickedness of our flesh. We're not given to walking in sin. We are totally delivered from sin, according to Romans, the eighth chapter. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. We'll come back to that later this week. But what I want you to see very clearly is that when we walk in the old Adam nature or we walk just in this flesh, in the flesh world, if we walk according to the ways of man, even though they be perhaps good ways, remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if we walk 
in the way of our sinful nature, <clears throat> if we walk in the way of these fleshly, non-spiritual bodies, we're walking in unbelief. For who provoked him, this is Hebrews 3, verse 16, who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? If you're walking in sin, God is angry with you and the wrath of God is being piled up against you. And you will not be delivered until you have repented and turned away from your sin and stopped living in this flesh or in the wicked nature of Adam. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now I said at the beginning of this broadcast that there is still a known sin in my life. And what the Holy Spirit has confronted me with is the sin of unbelief. I want to talk about how that sin manifests itself in me and in you. Where we, where we desire from the normal function of our flesh, of our bodies, this body. And we desire out of the wicked nature that we received with Adam. We desire to please ourselves and not Jesus. We are walking in unbelief. All disobedience to Jesus is classified in Scripture as unbelief. All sin in Scripture is classified as unbelief, as rebellion. So sin is found resting in unbelief. When Eve reached out and took that fruit, she believed the serpent that this was for her good. She believed the serpent that, that she was going to become a better person, that she was going to receive understanding wisdom and skills that God had refused to give her. And so her decision to action, take the fruit and eat it from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a raw act of unbelief in their creator God. It was unbelief in their creator. 
all sin is unbelief in the Creator God, in the Savior, in Jesus Christ. So, how has that been seen in my life? Well, I want something. So I just go get it. Because I can. I just reach out and take it. For some of you, it's you can reach out and take a new job and make more money. And after all, it's about money, right? No, it's not. It's not about money. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about reaching out and taking what you want. Unbelief says, I can have what I want. I'll do it. I'll take it myself. I'm not going to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to wait on him. I'm not going to trust him in this. I am going to create what I desire. I'm going to have what I want. And those who say, I'm a Christian, but I'm free to sin. I know what that's about. It's saying, I want what I want. And I'm unwilling to submit to Jesus. Now, it gets much larger. It comes in the area of finances. comes in the area of ministry outreach for you and for me in testifying and witnessing, praying for the sick. You see, if if you're walking in unbelief, you will say to me, Pastor, I, I really don't know how to pray, so I'm, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to pray. I face that all the time with men and women. I face it every Friday when we have a prayer day. Many of you don't call and pray. Why? You're afraid. You don't know what to say. Because you're living in a in a contained world of flesh and you've never broken through to walk in the spirit now i can tell you walking in the spirit is terrifying it will cost you your comfort it will cost you pretty much everything you have and are. It will require that you put your trust and your confidence in the word that Jesus is speaking to you and then walk it out. Even though it looks impossible 
and it looks like you're going to look foolish. Now, where I'm struggling in all of this is what if God wants to do something in my life that's going to stretch me out and make me look foolish? And my first priority is to be right and to be well defended. You know, I learned in my first month of pastoring, after one month out of seminary, my first church, I began to walk like this. One side high, the other low. I went to a doctor. He said to me, Pastor, there's nothing wrong with you except tension and pressure. And you're in the wrong profession if you can't deal with this. And it will kill you if you don't overcome it. I said, okay, doctor, thank you. And I had to overcome it. And what was it I had to overcome? I had to overcome what other people thought about me. A pastor always has somebody who's angry with them, who's going to cut them off. Some minuscule thing you did not do that they wanted you to do or some visitation of some relative in the hospital that you didn't get to or something you said in the sermon that they took personally, which they should have, and they get angry. A pastor is a prime target for any person who wants to act out on their pain and their hurt, even in the family. And so the pressure of that was disabling to me as a young pastor. Today, I just expect it. I expect people to follow and obey the word that I speak, to listen, or to turn it off and walk away and be angry and criticize and send emails and send texts and calls. It's okay. It's all right. But I do want to say, if I say my life belongs to you, Jesus, do I believe that? And am I willing to walk that out in the job I have or don't have, in the car I drive or don't drive? Am I willing to walk it out in friendships? Am I willing to walk out being vulnerable and being open? Unbelief is not witnessing. Are you sharing the gospel with others? Some of you are and some of you aren't. If you're not sharing the gospel with others, it's because you don't believe 
You're protecting yourself. You're afraid. Unbelief also takes the form of of anger, pride, arrogance. As I opened the broadcast, sharing with you, I'm, I came terrified to this broadcast today. I feel like I don't even know how to, how to talk about this. Unbelief is the great sin of the American church. We've created our own life. We've created our own desires. We've created what we want. Don't give me fire and brimstone. Don't give me, don't give me any straight word. Don't, don't pierce my heart with those arrows. This is all very personal. I'm in charge of my life. Well, how's that working out for you? Do you like how your life is working out? Unbelief is belief in myself and not in Jesus. And I've had to come to terms with his word to me. It came in the form of an audible command about 3 a.m. one morning, about two years ago. He said to me, wait upon the Lord. I mean, the word's just echoing out, terrifying me. Wait upon the Lord. A direct hard-edge command. Yes, sir. Do I wait on the Lord in every area? Do I do I go get what I think I need to buy because I think I need to buy it? Or do I wait on the Lord and say, Lord, where is this going to take me? I'll, I'll give you an example. In high school, in a boarding academy, I worked in the kitchen, first washing pots and pans, and then I worked in the bakery, baking commercial bread for grocery stores. Sprouted wheat, tomato bread, whole grain bread. Well, I've not been able to do very much baking but I've come to a point in my life where I think I would really enjoy baking again. But that would require certain pieces of equipment. Do I just go buy that equipment because I have the ability to buy it? Or do I wait on the Lord? It's a hobby. Baking would become a hobby for me. It would be a a valuable hobby because I could give the bread to those who need food. I can give the bread to the church dinner on Sunday after our worship service. Sweet rolls. I love to make sweet rolls. Sweet cinnamon rolls. 
soft and chewy, fresh out of the oven. Pies. Well, no, I'm not going to just go do it because that's my hobby. My life is centered not in work and not in hobbies. My life is centered in Jesus Christ. Now, if I say that, and then I go create for myself a hobby that will consume much time and energy and resource, what have I done? I've walked in unbelief. What if I want a new car? And if I have the ability to buy that car, shall I just go buy it and make a payment every month or even pay cash because it's what I want? That's unbelief. In other words, if I say, Jesus, you are the center of my heart. You are the center of my life. I want to be in you and I want you in me. And then you do as one businessman did. He went out and went into debt to get the best truck he could buy. Why? He didn't need the best truck. But he thought he did. I understand. You want to look good when you go to the customer's house. You want to look successful. I understand. I also understand your pride and your unbelief. You see, this this issue comes out of hardening our hearts. And pastors today in America are treating the wounds of God's people as though they're not serious. I can't do that. I know the wounds of your heart are very serious. The wounds of my heart are very serious. And there has to be a repentance, a sorrow for sin, a tear, if you please, at facing the living God of heaven. I feel that tear. He is a holy God. And he... and. And he says we're storing up wrath unto that day of judgment when we walk in unbelief and we walk in pride and, we, and we're in charge of our own lives and we're afraid to step out and do what God has called us to do. Or we go step out and do what God has not called us to do because we refuse to wait upon him. I mean, what happens if I, now at my age, continue to wait on God Will anything ever happen? Will revival take place? Can I make revival happen? No, I can't. I can't make revival come to Washington. I've tried all my life. I've failed. I have to face that. I have to believe that the word of God is true. And that he will bring to pass what he has promised he would bring to pass. 
Oh, Lord, I come with terror into your presence today with my brothers and sisters. And I ask that all wrath be removed from our account. I ask that we would have the courage to believe your word to us and to stand by faith in it and to act upon what you have told us we are to do. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and nothing is too hard for you. So, Lord, I wait for your direction in every area of my heart and my life. I wait upon you for the work of revival. I wait upon you for the work of repentance in the American church. I am grieved beyond words, Almighty God, by my own unbelief and by the unbelief of your church. And I ask that you bring us into yourself fully, that you break every every bone of pride in our hearts and in our bodies. I ask, Lord, that you would grant to us that humility of heart, that we would not harden our hearts, that we would not walk in unbelief. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. We had a wonderful time on Sunday talking about these issues and praying together. I'd like to invite you to come. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And if you're in the Washington metro area, please come. You can also give online. And I want to bring the good news to you today. We have two outstanding pledges. And when those two pledges come in, the radio broadcast will be covered for this month and a good beginning for next month. I want to thank each one of you who has so graciously given Gloria and many others. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you all. So please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please look carefully at your own heart and your own life and any areas of unbelief that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you about Would you take those before him, sit in his presence or kneel in his presence and pray those through? That's what I'm doing. I will not walk in unbelief before a holy God. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We're out of time. I'll talk to you soon. Present
Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.